You're listening to Comedy Central. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. August 12, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Massachusetts, and she's one of the four women who make up the squad. Ayanna Presley is here, everybody! <laughs> also on tonight's show, Democrats have an eating contest. Hong Kong protesters are now affecting the skies, and I reveal which billionaire pedophile killed himself in prison this weekend. It might surprise you. So let's catch up on today's headlines. Let's begin in the world of sports and superhero-ness. This past weekend was the U.S. Gymnastics Championships, where top athletes competed in a range of events, including high bars, the pommel horse, and the ring thingies. And (laughs) while all of these athletes are pretty amazing, there is one in particular who is simply in a league of her own. Simone Biles finished off a milestone-filled weekend with another U.S. Gymnastics National Championship. The final night included the Olympic champ becoming the first woman to perform a gravity-defying triple-double during the floor exercise. That followed another history-making move Friday on the balance beam. Two flips, two twists, never been done in competition. Oh! Can you see that smile? Wow, that was amazing. The only time I've seen someone do two flips and three twists was when my uncle was drunk and tried to get into a hammock. That's the only time I've seen that. (laughs) And by the way, by the way, at the end of the competition, Simone Biles somehow didn't have a perfect score from the judges, which in my opinion means they're assholes, you know? (laughs) Or they know more about gymnastics than I do, but I prefer to think of them as assholes because if someone does something completely new in a competition, how is that not a perfect score, huh? What are you saying? He's just like, yeah, I've uh, never seen that before, but it could have been better. I think it could have been better. <laughs> and can we all agree that gymnastics is an amazing sport to watch, but none of us knows what's really going on? <laughs> like, I'm not gonna lie. Like, if they just land on their feet and do this... <laughs> in my head, it's a perfect score. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot like watching a chef at Benihana. As long as they fuss with the knives, I'm impressed. <laughs> He's just like, king, 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 king. I'm like, yeah, this guy knows how to cook. This guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Moving on to some international news. Over the past few months, people in Hong Kong have taken to the streets to protest China's increasing influence on their previously autonomous city. And after weeks of protest in the streets, today, they took their demonstration to the next level. Now to this massive protest in Hong Kong, bringing one of the busiest airports in the world to a standstill this morning. Outbound flights canceled for the rest of the day after thousands of pro-democracy demonstrators right there swarming the main terminal. This comes after a weekend of violent clashes. Hong Kong police are defending their use of force, including using tear gas inside a train station. Damn, that airport looks crazy, yet somehow still better than LaGuardia. <laughs> and... And really, after seeing this, there is no way you can doubt the dedication of these protesters in Hong Kong. Because they went to the airport, not to fly, but to protest. (laughs) Do you know how committed you have to be? Even when I am flying, (laughs) I don't want to go to an airport. (laughs) I hate the airport. (laughs) Last week, my mom asked me to pick her up from JFK. (laughs) So she lives there now. (laughs) I told you, mom, don't test me. You don't test me. And can you imagine, like, getting off the flight and seeing this? Because you forget, people were landing as well. You'd probably want to get right back on your plane, because this is chaos. (laughs) Yeah, unless you flew on Spirit Airlines. (laughs) (laughs) Spirit Airlines. It's like a violent Chinese protest in the sky. (laughs) And finally, while many in the U.S. are still dealing with last weekend's mass shootings, some jackass in Missouri thought it was a good idea to do this. Tonight, Dmitry Andrichenko is in jail on charges of making a terrorist threat after setting off fears of a mass shooting. The 20-year-old walked into this Walmart in Springfield, Missouri, dressed in body armor, carrying an assault rifle. He had 100 rounds of ammunition, a store manager pulling the fire alarm, sending customers fleeing outside. Police saying Andrichenko told them he, quote, wanted to know if that Walmart honored the Second Amendment and that due to three recent shootings and a stabbing, he wanted to protect himself. His intent was not to cause peace or, or, or comfort to anybody that was in the business here. In fact, he's lucky he's alive still, to be honest. Yeah, this kid walked into a Walmart wearing full body armor and carrying a giant ass gun. And he says it was all like a prank or an experiment. And I'll be honest, I don't know how much he demonstrated the power of the Second Amendment, but that was a very effective demonstration of white privilege. That's what that was. (laughs) Because, uh, I'm gonna warn you now. I will warn you now. Do not try this shit if you are black. (laughs) Or Muslim. Or one of those Greek people who are super tanned. I will say this, though, like, the kid has exposed how crazy open carry laws are, right? In many states, you can just walk around with an assault rifle and it's completely legal until the moment you threaten someone, which is terrifying, right? In a country where there's this many shootings, open carry is like having a law where you're allowed to dress up like a clown and sneak into someone's bedroom with a knife. <laughs> yeah, and then the person's just like, oh, are you here to stab me? It's like, nah, nah, I'm just testing the law, man. <laughs> Shh, go back to sleep. That's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our main story. (laughs) Jeffrey Epstein. Since his arrest last month for running an underage sex trafficking ring, there were hopes that his upcoming trial would finally expose the full extent of his crimes and who else was involved. But over the weekend, that all became a lot less likely. 
Well, welcome back. We continue to follow this breaking news. Accused sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein is dead. Sources say the multimillionaire financier was found unresponsive in his Manhattan jail cell early this morning. Officials believe he hanged himself. That's right. Pedophile and fake billionaire Jeffrey Epstein was found dead in his jail cell after he apparently committed suicide on Saturday morning, which, if you ask me, is some bullshit, right? No, because I wanted Jeffrey Epstein to stay alive for two reasons. One, so that his victims could get their day in court. And two, I wanted him to snitch on all his high-profile pedophile friends. (laughs) Now he's dead! (laughs) This is gone. You know who we need? We need that that red lady from Game of Thrones to wake his ass up. That's what we need. (laughs) Come on, Jeffrey. (laughs) And what makes this whole Epstein thing even worse is that we already had questions about his whole pedophile operation. Now, we have additional questions about how he died. This morning, the question on many minds. How did Jeffrey Epstein die while in federal custody? Epstein had been taken off suicide watch and was supposed to have been checked by guards every 30 minutes, but that procedure was not being followed the night before he was found. Sources close to the investigation say Epstein underwent a psychiatric evaluation and they cleared him from suicide watch on or about July 29th, allowing him to return to his cell. Yeah, they weren't checking in on Epstein and they took him off Suicide watch. Why? Like, I'm, I'm not an expert on psychology, but if someone tries to commit suicide, I don't think two more weeks of jail would suddenly improve their outlook on life. <laughs> now, you may remember, the reason this Jeffrey Epstein case blew up wasn't just because of the magnitude of his crimes, but also because his circle included some high-profile individuals. Everyone from Bill Clinton and Donald Trump all the way to famous scientists and even royalty. And because the story involves so many people who are so powerful, many out there are wondering if Epstein really suicided himself. This is a suspected suicide, and it just smells fishy to so many people. The timing is so suspicious. This comes just one day after those documents were unsealed. I'm not a believer in a conspiracy theory, but I do believe there's lots of suspicious activity to investigate here. Twitter erupted with a number of other conspiracy theories following the news, the shocking news of Epstein's apparent suicide. Hashtags like Trump body count and Clinton body count and Epstein murder were among the top U.S. trends. Trump retweeted a baseless conspiracy theory tying the Clintons to the death of Jeffrey Epstein. That's right. I mean, I get everyone else on Twitter, but the president of the United States is also retweeting conspiracy theories that Jeffrey Epstein was murdered by the Clintons. Yeah, (laughs) the president did this, which is pretty wild. I mean, because this is the type of moment where you would think the president would be the voice of reason. Instead, Trump is jumping into the fray. <laughs> yeah. You know what he's like? He's, he's basically that dad that when a fight breaks out in the little league game, he runs into the field, but instead of breaking it up, starts body slamming the third graders. <laughs> yeah, take that, take that, take that. Cause he's doing this in public. You know what Trump needs? Trump needs a Finsta. That's what he needs. Yeah, one of those secret Instagram accounts that only your close friends can see. That's what he needs. Then he can use that to just go crazy with his racist stuff, conspiracy theories, butt pics. He can just let it all out. (laughs) Just get it all out. And America doesn't have to stress. (laughs) But this time, though, this time, it's not just Trump. It seems like everybody thinks that something shady happened here. People on the right are saying it was the Clintons who killed Jeffrey. People on the left are saying Trump killed him. Jussie Smollett says it was two white Nigerian guys. 
guys. I don't know. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but something weird happened here. Like, I was thinking maybe it wasn't Trump or the Clintons. Maybe it was America. This incident should make us all troubled about the jail system. We know that there are many deaths by suicide in jails throughout the country. The Metropolitan Correctional Center has been understaffed, leading to low morale among guards. And the two guards in the special housing unit where Epstein was kept were both on overtime, one of the guards on his fifth overtime shift of the week. Sources at the jail tell CBS News they often rely on certain inmates to assist guards in monitoring other inmates due to a lack of manpower. Yeah, you heard that right. Thanks to overworked staff and underfunded prisons, suicide among inmates is all too common in the United States. With some prisons so understaffed that guards ask other inmates to be on suicide watch for them, which is not ideal. I mean, what if the person they put on suicide watch is a murderer, huh? <laughs> what happens then? He's just like, so the good news is he didn't kill himself. So look, man, I'll be honest. I get why everybody's suspicious of how this all went down, because you would think a high-profile person like Jeffrey Epstein would have eyes on him all the time. But to be honest, I'm also not sure that there's a conspiracy here. Like, if anything, for me, the conspiracy has been taking place over the last 10 years. First of all, Epstein magically only served 13 months for his crimes. And in that 13 months, he got to leave prison and go to the office six days a week. And the prosecutor sealed the case which protected Epstein and his co-conspirators and robbed his victims of due process. That, for me, was the conspiracy. How did that happen? What was going on there? That's the conspiracy. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, what happened here is the result of there not being a conspiracy anymore and Epstein being treated for the first time just like everyone else. We'll be right back. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. My guest tonight represents Massachusetts' 7th Congressional District in the House of Representatives. Please welcome Democratic Congresswoman Ayanna Presley. Welcome to The Daily Show. Thank you for having me. Such an exciting time to have you here. Uh, I'm surprised that you, you made it. I thought you would have gone back to the country <laughs> that, you, that you came from. Um, have you figured out where that is yet? <laughs> is, is it Wakanda? Is it like, where, where is it? Where would, where, where is this world? Like, do you ever think about yeah. that tweet from the president and go like, where, where is it? You know what, in, in all seriousness, um... I, I wish that I could, you know, feign surprise or some inflated outrage. Right. It's a very predictable prompt from someone. 
who has a long history of not only racist rhetoric, but racist actions, and every day is rolling out racist, xenophobic uh, policies. And this goes way back from leading the birther movement to not renting to African Americans to leading uh, the charge for capital punishment and the death penalty for what we know now today as the exonerated five. Um, and so this is really just par for the course, but I took his advice. I went home, went back to the Massachusetts seventh, which <laughs> delivered me. Yeah. And, uh, and what I learned there is that they see right through uh, Donald Trump, the occupant of this White House. And to be clear, I call him the occupant not because I dishonor the office, but because he does. We went from... You know, I mean, we went from a president who sang Amazing Grace to one uh, who displays zero of it. And he does not embody the responsibility, uh, the integrity, the empathy, the compassion of a nice. president. And so I will not call him that. Um, but, you know, we find ourselves in, in truly unprecedented times. And uh, the residents of the Massachusetts 7th uh, said to me they see right through him. And, you know, this is really a distraction. These are things that he does to distract us from... Uh, the corruptness, the chaos, and the callousness of this administration. But I can't pretend that this rhetoric is not dangerous. It is exactly uh, why El Paso happened. Let's so. talk a little bit about the country as it stands. You know, as, as, a, as a lawmaker, you are in a unique position where you can do more than most people to try and change America in a way that, you know, you know polls have shown even that people wanted to change. Let's talk about the shootings. On the one hand, you have, uh, you know, the white supremacy, and, you know, we, we've heard you speak about that, but, you know, everyone has agreed on one commonality, and that is guns. Whether the person's a white supremacist, whether the person is mentally ill, whether the person is inspired by somebody or just lashing out, the gun is the common factor. What do you think America can do about people's easy access to guns? Okay, well, first I want to say that, yes, guns are the common factor. And the common enemy in all of this is Mitch McConnell. And so um, I just want to ask all of you... Uh, to please give him a call and say, I sent you. Um, uh, I'm not sure he'll answer. He's probably in Russia. But on the off chance that he is actually doing his job, um, lobby him at 202-224-2541. Um, why haven't we acted... Why haven't we acted? Um, this gun violence is a public health crisis and epidemic. This is an urban issue. It is a rural issue. It is a suburban issue. It is transcendent. It is a public health crisis and epidemic. It is pervasive and it is growing. Mm -hmm. New Zealand had a mass shooting and shortly thereafter they banned assault weapons. So why haven't we acted? Because of a deficit of political courage and leadership. Despite a mandate... <laughs> despite... A mandate from this, from, from American citizens from, citizens from every walk of life. Now, here's the other thing that I want to say is important. So, tomorrow, we could save millions of lives by passing the assault weapons ban. I mean, again, New Zealand acted in a matter of days and banned assault weapons, right? We could pass an assault weapons ban. We could pass universal, universal background checks. Mm -hmm. I also want to give a shout out to my sister in service, Robin Kelly out of Illinois, because we also have to address straw purchasing and gun trafficking. We need to hold two narratives. There are mass shootings and there's community-based violence. And we also know that there are more guns than people. And for as long as that is the case, you are going to see an intersectionality of violence. Violence begets violence. How many mass shooters 
and perpetrators of violence were also abusers of women. You know, these things are all interconnected. And so we need to hold space for both community-based violence, for mass shootings. We need to prioritize whether we are robbed of a life. They're not lost, they're stolen. On a city block, gang-affiliated or not, or due to domestic terrorism at a mosque, a synagogue, a church, or a school, every life matters. We've got to hold narrative for both. And then finally, um, an issue that I led on in my eight-year tenure on the Boston City Council, and I'm so proud in my uh, six-month tenure as a congresswoman to have convened the first hearing in the history of Congress in the Oversight and Reform Committee on childhood trauma. We have got to address the residual trauma that gun violence is leaving in its wake that is choking at the promise of our communities. Wow. Honestly, you know, Trevor, honestly, it's really just about equitable outrage, equitable justice, and equitable healing. And that's the work that I'm doing every day. It's interesting that you say that because you you have been really focused on looking at some of the byproducts and and the causes of additional violence in America. Uh, You know, as as a victim of trauma yourself, you have always said that you have to to work on it. You know, I, I know what that's like. Many of us, unfortunately, know what that is like. How do you think America goes about that? I mean, America can't even get to a place where, you know, the country pays its teachers enough. How do you get to a place where you design a system that helps people who have mental scars from gun violence? Yeah, well, you know, one of the issues that I've championed and I was successful uh, in this appropriation cycle in getting an additional $5 million allocated towards school-based health centers. We need social-emotional wellness supports. You know, uh, within our schools, trauma is a barrier to learning, and much of that trauma is... um, due to domestic violence or gun violence, some exposure to violence, but also trauma is taking on many manifestations in this this day and age. Trauma is displacement. Trauma is experiencing homelessness. Trauma is poverty. Trauma is food insecurity. Trauma is the fear of deportation. And so these are all barriers to learning, but forget the fact that they impact the child's ability to learn. This is just about people, our children, growing up to be whole, well-functioning people that can bring to bear their full contribution. Now, for adults, what I'm working on is a survivor's bill of rights. Um, For those who have been robbed of loved ones, it's so important that in this work that we are doing it from a lens that is survivor-led and victim-centered. And so that's what I'm doing uh, every day. Let's talk about the deportations. You know, um, one of the stories that really, really broke people's hearts recently was that of um, the raids in Mississippi, where, you know, people were rounded up and they were, they were working and they were taken away and then you saw their kids crying and, and many people said, how are we doing this? These people are working, you know, in American plants, making American food and all of a sudden they just kicked out of the country. There is a constant battle in America between what some people would, you know, uh, term secure borders and also the reality of immigrants who have come into the United States and are undocumented and have lived here and contribute and pay taxes, et cetera. Firstly, do you think people who hire these immigrants should also face some sort of ramification? You know, the corporations just get to do it again and it doesn't seem to affect them. And secondly, what can America do to find an immigration system that actually works? Yeah, well, so let me just say this. I went to the border. All right. Now, I don't represent a border community, but I represent the Massachusetts 7th is 40% immigrant. And so 
uh, due to the xenophobic rhetoric and policies. I mean, this has been a strategic and coordinated attack against, Im against immigrants, from the immigration status question, to HUD's policy to ban mixed immigration status households, mm -hmm. to the announcement today of public charge, which would deny those that are on a path card, pathway to green cards and visas. Um, it would deny them if they have ever applied for Medicaid right. or for food stamps. I mean, this is unconscionable. You know, your book is so aptly titled, Born a Crime. Here we have an administration that is criminalizing and vilifying people simply for how they show up in the world. We, we have no say in where we, where we are born. And we are criminalizing and vilifying people simply for how they show up in the world and for seeking asylum, which is a legal human right. And you're right, we need to not only address asylum seekers, but we have to address TPS holders. I mean, what's temporary about people who have been contributing to our culture, to civic life, and to our economy for 10, 15, 20 years? Right. So, you know, we have to uh, develop a path to citizenship for TPS holders, for DACA recipients, and we have to not criminalize asylum seekers. Now, what you were talking about that happened in Mississippi and what I saw at the border has haunted me, and it has left me uncomfortable, but I'm okay with that, because when we stay uncomfortable, we don't allow ourselves to grow complacent. You know, I urge every member of Congress to go to this board, to go to any border community, and to bear witness to the trauma that I saw there. It is dehumanizing, it is demoralizing. Women who only spoke Spanish, and I don't, but I didn't need to speak Spanish to understand suffering as they wailed for their children. And the worst part of this, if it could get any worse, is that we've been here before as a nation with slaves at auction blocks, on reservations with indigenous people. You know, the most effective tool to oppress a people is to separate families and to take children specifically away from their mothers. And here we find ourselves again. And the fact that this is happening on American soil because of the occupant of this White House is unconscionable. And so what we need is policy that allows families to settle in community. Mm -hmm. I mean, 80% of the family, the asylum seekers here, have family members here. They could have sponsors right away. So they should be allowed to stay. We should prioritize family uh, preservation. Um, people settling in community, waiting review of their case. And then we need a system that works because right now, the current system, it is doing what it was designed to do. And that is what is most sobering and upsetting about all of this. Wow. Powerful words. <laughs> Powerful plans. Thank you so much for being yeah. on the show. Wonderful having you here. Yeah. I'm excited to see what else you get up to. Congresswoman Diana Pressley, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 
Stephen Colbert here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is our podcast for The Late Show with my producer, Becca. Uh, Becca, how long have you been producing this podcast? I've been producing this podcast for two years now. And your favorite thing about it? The extended moments, for sure. Right, because sometimes I'll interview like a big star for 25 minutes. We can only put like 14 minutes on air. Where can people get that? On The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert, wherever you get your podcasts. And who produces that? Uh, I, I help out. It's a team effort.